Thank you for that reading, Joe. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. For those of you who may be visiting or guests, I'm one of the teaching pastors along with Rob Sweet. Uh, You know, we have a congregation here, uh, Franklin Congregation. We have a congregation in Brentwood. So Rob and I will go back and forth to teach. I want to just talk a moment about something we did. It's two weekends ago now. We had an elder-led prayer night. And you can take a look at some pictures that we had up on the screen. I just want you to see this. And the reason I'm doing this is just to do two things, to say what happened and encourage you to attend when we do this again. You know, we're in a season of re-envisioning as a church. And uh, one of those, one of the the points of emphasis for us, quite frankly, has been what's it look like for us to become more of a church of prayer? It doesn't mean have more prayer meetings, but it means being a people of prayer. Now, when we do have a meeting for prayer, it might look something like this, an elder-led prayer night. Just so you know, it's not that you come and, you know, an elder's assigned to you or anything like that. It's just like this. It's we're gathered in a room. The elders from up front are leading, um, and then you're praying on your own. You're praying with each other. We're kind of giving some direction to it. It was all around the kickoff of the new school year, the calendar year, uh, academic calendar. And uh, it was a sweet, it was a rich time, and... Truly, we believe when we have those opportunities to do that corporately in that extended time, it's one of the most important things we can do. Absolutely foundational to all that we do. So with that, and you see some of those pictures, I want to encourage you, we'll be doing some more in the future. Uh, Elder-led prayer evenings, uh, one hour long, family, everyone comes, and we pray for that hour. Sing a little bit, but then we pray. So I hope you'll join us. Well, I've pondered for several days, and it's been a week, over a week now since uh, I, I've looked at this message, how to best get our mind, uh, our hearts, all of us in the proper uh, posture, if I may say that, thematically and just open to the Word of God as we open this particular text, you know, we're moving through, uh, teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. And where I landed was, uh, I want you to listen to the front end of a song that uh, really gets to the heart of this. Go ahead and start the song. Now, some of us are going to know this, right? And uh, some of us aren't. (laughs) I totally get that. But I want to I want to go long enough in this song so that you get to the uh, chorus, and then I want to make a point about it. And I want you to be thinking, too, who, who sang this originally? Hold on to that. Turn it up a little bit. All right, now, um, everybody plays a fool sometime. Now, without looking on your phone, who originally sang that? And it was a, a huge hit, 1972. Does anybody know? The main ingredient. <laughs> like, no one remembers the main ingredient, 1972. Everybody plays a fool sometime. There's no exception to the rule. It may be factual. It may be cruel. But everybody plays the fool. 
I'm going to cover a lot of ground in, in our text. It's a short text. We're going to get through it pretty quick. But everything's going to come right back to the bottom of the funnel, and that is everybody plays a fool. Now, this song speaks of everyone plays the fool in love. You know, the next line goes in, talks about, you don't know if the one you love is going to love you. Ooh, right? And so it's a song that everybody plays a fool in love. Um, all of us who are old enough um, have, have, let's say, you know, are married, been married for a while, et cetera. We, we look back on young love and, and many of us with time and experience look back and go, <laughs> right? Thank God that didn't work. I didn't want, I couldn't imagine being married to, eh, you know, that young love breaks your heart. Well, what Solomon's gonna do, he's gonna say, you know, it's, it's not just everybody plays the fool in love, but everybody can play the fool and will play the fool in life. And when you play the fool in life, it's not just that your heart gets broken for a season. Uh, your life could and will get turned upside down for years, if not a lifetime. If I put an emphasis on the passage today, just so you know what's coming out of this text today, it's a giant warning. You know, it's warning around this topic of foolishness. Um, his words, Solomon's words, I'm gonna take them, it's a short section. We're, we're taking one through seven today and there's two parts to it. It's very easy when you look at the text and it starts with a pretty strange statement and that's gonna, I'm gonna take it as an outline title. He says, first of all, dead flies make a stink. That he, and will it, you know, dead flies make a stink. And then the five and six and seven, he's gonna say a leader's mistake will make a mess. So this is just a messy passage. Dead flies make a stink. And then a leader's mistake will make a mess. Now, last week, Rob took us from chapter, chapter nine. He grabbed verses 11 through 18, okay? And you remember Rob brought us through to say, and he had the good life game, or the, the, the game of life, I'm sorry. And, and he talked about, you know, it's, it's fake, you know, it's a fake game. But in the, in the game of real life, uh, what we most need is not what the game of life says, which is, you know, get more money, get position, get power. No, Rob said, no, Solomon's gonna say, man, in, in the real game of life, the one thing you need more than everything else is what? Did Rob teach last week? Or <laughs> the one thing you need for life under the sun is wisdom. 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 Now we're going to get the contrast today. The one thing you don't want to engage in is foolishness. Now I'm going to pick up in uh, verse 18 because, um, actually I'm gonna pick up in verse 16 of the previous passage to show you that Solomon says wisdom is better. You know, this is what Rob took us. Look at verse 16, he's gonna say it three times. He says, wisdom is better than strength. Got it, verse 17. Wisdom is better than shouting of a ruler among fools. Better than the proclamations and shouting of a ruler. And then verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Okay, so better, better, better. Now, 
It's the second half of verse 18 that leads us into our text. You gotta remember that in the Hebrew manuscripts, what they were reading, there's no verses, there's no chapters. You don't go now chapter, no, 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 it's just all together. And so we track with these thoughts and you'll notice verse 18 introduces us to our text, which, you know, is verse 10, one through seven. So look at verse 18 again. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but contrast, one sinner destroys much good. Now, I, I want everybody to look up here at me. I want you to know it's the one, the, the, it's this idea. The little, the one, destroys the much. Okay, that's the, that's the principle that he's gonna drive home. It's the little has a massive influence. Everybody with me? So watch this as we go through here. Dead flies make us stink. Look at verse one. I'm gonna take it a little bit at a time. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. There you go. One much, what does he say now? A little destroys the whole thing. I mean, perfumers in that day, uh, and, the, and think about how valuable perfume was in a culture where it was hot, muggy, they didn't take showers and baths and whatnot. I know you get used to those things, but it was costly. They import this stuff to, to, to mix for perfumes. It's not native to, to Israel. And when a perfumer would, would make a scent, uh, they didn't do it in a sterile factory. They did it in their tent, outside, wherever, right? And while they're doing it, these little flies could get in it. Kind of kind of gnat-like things get in the perfume. And so instead of having this gorgeous bouquet of aroma, just a few flies decompose, rotten, and it's a it's just a funky smell. So the little flies ruin the whole purpose of the perfume. Hebrew parallelism, when uh, this sounds like an ACT question, but you know, they state one thing and then they kind of repeat it and here's how it sounds like an ACT question. Dead flies are to perfume what foolishness is to wisdom and honor. And that's what he's saying here. So we go, okay, okay, I, 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 I get that. If I put it in a statement, I would put it this way. It's a very simple principle. When it comes to foolishness, a tiny bit goes a long way, okay? When it comes to foolishness, a tiny bit goes a long, long way. Way. Now, I want to remind us, Solomon is, according to the scripture, the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, he's the wisest human being, apart from the God-man Jesus, who ever lived. He knows so much about foolishness and wisdom that he writes another book simply about that. What book is it? Proverbs. So he writes up 31 chapters on don't be a fool, <laughs> choose wisdom. So, so here's a man who could say so much about it and he writes a book about it and then he's writing this book to tell you and I, here's how to live your life in such a way that it's not just a, 
a vapor that's gone. He's, so he's, so he's, got, he's got something to say about the, the significance of how, to, how do you live that way on this planet. And he focuses our attention. He chooses from all he could say. He chooses to say, let me tell you this thing about foolishness. And that, I just find it interesting that he's going to pick this one characteristic of foolishness that a tiny bit goes a long way. And, and I think in part he chooses it because you and I have the propensity to forget that. And so we choose foolishness in tiny increments. And you put all those together or you just choose one tiny foolish moment and choice. And the, in, and the impact of that just goes on. Does that make sense? It's like we, don't, we think of foolishness as like, it's almost like a, it's not, you know, it's just a little bit's not bad. Almost like tobacco. I, you know, some of us smoke cigars or, you know, smoke a pipe or smoke cigarettes. I don't know, but you, you know, you go, I'm, I'm not, I don't smoke that much of it. I just do it so it's not gonna hurt me. We think that foolishness is like that and it couldn't be farther from the truth. When it comes to foolishness, a tiny bit goes a long way. I, honestly, this is the best I could come up with. Foolishness is like Miss Minnie's special chocolate pie in the help. For those who've seen the help, you know the story. Um, uh, Miss Hilly fires Miss Minnie and basically says, you'll never work in Jackson again. It was just horrendous. You can hold, hold that for a sec. Hold that slide for a second till I, till I call for that. But um, you can take that slide down if you, okay. Anyways, but um, Miss, uh, Miss Hilly fires Miss Minnie and um, so you're not gonna work in this town again. And, and uh, so Minnie, who is famous, you know, in Jackson for her chocolate pie, makes a pie and uh, brings it to Miss Hilly and, uh, and gives it to her. And what's so funny about the scene, of course, is, you know, Miss Hilly thinks she's apologizing and she eats two pieces before you can almost get a word in. Just, it's just on her lips, you know, she's eating this thing. And um, of course, what the audience we know, right, is that there's something in that pie. And it's one of those things that even when I thought about this as an illustration, I thought, how am I gonna say, how am I gonna say this in church to say to you people that her feces is in the pie? That she, she took some her own poop and put it in the pie. And so, you know, we're just aghast, you know, as Hilly eats the pie, right? And, and here's what I'd say to you. That's what foolishness is like. So it's this. If I, if I just had a crumb of Miss Minnie's pie, this particular pie, and it just had a pinch, no pun intended, of stuff on it, okay? And I said, try this. Would you eat it? No, we wouldn't, would we? See, it's, and not to be funny, but to be funny, but, but to make a point, foolishness is, it's like that, you know, you go, well, there's not much in it. I'll taste it. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's foolishness. It's going to have massive implications for you. Now you can show this pie because last week, Silla Crane sent me a chocolate pie. 
And all, and Lisa said, everyone was Facebooking my wife again saying, don't eat it, don't eat it. And I must say this, you can take that down. Bill, who is a, Bill Munson, who's a master chocolate pie maker, it, it didn't get to yours, yours is better, just so you know. All respects to Scylla, but, but uh, if you want chocolate pie, you gotta go to Bill. Um, and, and yours was all good. Yeah, I, I had no doubt. I had no fear. I had no fear. Um, think about this. How many of us have regretted? We've lived to regret what we, what we did after this little statement was made. You know, everybody's doing it. And then you make a choice. Or, you know, like, hey, Lloyd, it's just not that big a deal. And then you make a choice. Or it could be, I mean, it's just this one time. And then you make a choice. Or, you know, it's, uh, it's not gonna make that much difference. And then you make a choice. You see that. It's, a, it's that moment after that conversation, or this one in particular. Honestly, no one's ever gonna know. Now look at your text in verse two to four, what Solomon says about this, or two to three. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Uh, No one's ever gonna know? Oh, not according to Solomon. In that day, walking from place to place was how you lived life, you know? And so what he's saying is the fool, when he goes about or she goes about their daily life, they will let everyone know, I'm a fool. Now, they're not gonna walk around. No one's gonna walk around and say, hey, look at me, I'm stupid, I'm foolish. I made a foolish choice. No, no, no. They're not gonna yell it out, but what he says is, by our life, Everyone can look and will know that was a foolish choice, you see. Oh, oh, it will be known. You can, you can choose foolishness in private, but you cannot and you will not escape the public expression of that foolishness. You will not. And I want to ponder for a moment at the most practical level what he's saying, if I can. Um, I want to hit three categories to ponder this. The first would simply be this. If you're in the room and, and uh, you are uh, unmarried, you know, you're, you're, you're single, young adult, whatever it may be, you know, and, and you know, I've got teenage kids, early 20s, none of them married. I know what's going on for them in their body. I know what's going on because they were made sexual beings and the body is made to engage in sexual intercourse. That's, that's how God made us and gifted us. And yet God says sexual intercourse is for the marriage relationship for our good. And yet the culture and their bodies and everything's going against us. I, I know how difficult this is. And I heard someone say this, and so this is borrowed, but I'll, I'll use it because I thought it was helpful. They, were, they made the comment, you know, it's not that you, you have to be a virgin for your life. If, if you really think about it, you have to be a virgin for three minutes. Like, like get through that three minute window. <sighs> Live to breathe another day and it'll challenge you again. Just t- if you can just make it through this two minute window, don't go there. You see what I'm saying? It's, 
It's like don't take that little moment and go there and then you live with that. And there's grace to cover that for all of us. Please know I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. I'm just trying to warn us to say that. And, and, and may I speak from someone who, who, you know, not just do I have kids. I was a kid. I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. I got married at 30. I I mean, I get it. I so get it. But it's that one choice, you know. It's, It's the one, and God can bring us through that. Let me say this to all of us in the room who are married. And I don't know what's going on in your world. I have no one in my mind when I say this. But you've been entertaining an emotional connection to someone else. You're on the verge of a physical connection to someone else. Listen, we're human. Listen, we bring our sin in the room. We bring our struggles. It's not worth it. It's just not worth the moment in what that will unwind, as it says here, of a lifetime of wisdom and honor. It's not, not, not worth it. Let me say to all of us, if this doesn't, those don't kind of apply to us, it'll simply apply this. There's no one in the room that doesn't have choices and decisions in front of you. Maybe something's coming due this week or this next month, whatever. You may, you're filling out your tax forms, you're filling out a financial report. I don't know, you're filling out a loan report. And there's that party that goes, man, I, you know, I, I can choose to fudge here. I mean, it's not, no one's gonna know or I can choose the right thing or I can choose the wrong thing, but I'll just keep it quiet. See, all of us have these choices where we can choose foolishness or wisdom and I wanna exhort us. Don't take take the short-term gain because it's not even a gain. It's a huge loss and it bears itself out over time. Don't allow a momentary foolish choice to wreak havoc for a lifetime. Now, verse four, or verse three says, or actually, (laughs) verse two says, a wise man heart directs him to the right, but the foolish heart directs to the left. To the right is the place of good, right, honor. Just so you know that. In the Bible, you choose to to go to the right is, is righteousness, good, provision, protection, care, it's good, it's right. Where, where does Jesus sit in the throne of heaven right now? To which side of the Father? To the right hand, and this is always true in the Bible, to the left is wrong. It's an easy way to remember, you know, you know kind of like when you turn a screw, your kids learn righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, right? Right is right. Left is not good. He says the heart directs him there. You know the heart, when it's in this context, is not the beating heart. The heart, I cannot wait to talk about this this fall because I'm gonna take it, take it more deeply. But just always remember the heart is the control center of your being. A, a preview on this. The heart in the Bible is your true person. The heart is, is who you are. Are. It's, not just the pl- it's not just the place of emotion. No, 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 no. The heart is the place of your thinking. It is the place of your feeling. It is the center of your desires and longings. And it is the center of your choosing, your will. You see, that's all called the heart in the Bible. We'll talk more about that. But the, the righteous man's heart directs him to the right. The foolish man's heart to the left 
He goes on, verse four, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offensive of just a very simple uh, uh, illustration he gives. If you happen to be in the king's council and all of a sudden the king, the one in rule, the one, one in authority makes a left decision, this is so wrong, and he comes raging at you. Now you can apply this in, in, in terms of his personal relationships. You know, someone, someone's, someone's upset with you and mad at you because you're standing your ground on the truth and they're just acting in foolishness. He says to the wise person, stand your ground. But he, but he says, stand your ground in, in a certain way, does he not? Because composure allays great offenses. It says, stand your ground with great grace and forbearance and, and, and calmness. Composure is the lack of agitation. This is not easy. Someone's raging at you. Someone's, you know, fool's raging at you. And you stay, you're going to stand there, how? Well, you're only going to do it in the power of the Spirit, but you're going to stand there and not rage back. It's not gonna get anywhere. He says, you stand there with a non-anxious presence by the Spirit. Solomon, you know, wrote in Proverbs, just listen to these. 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He says in Proverbs 25.15, by forbearance, that is length of anger. In other words, length of anger being, it's a wonderful word picture. It's like you get angry, you know, if you have short, if you have a short, you know, span on that, you get angry, you get angry, you know, you go back, you go after someone. But if you have the length of anger, that's that picture of patience with your anger. Not that you don't feel it, but patience with it. It says, by forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Have you ever in your life known anyone to win an argument with a police officer by raising your voice. I haven't. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's gonna happen. It's remaining composed. Let's go on, because I, I wanna get, get to the next one. So, so dead flies make the perfume stink. And then he says, a leader's mistake will make, it will make a mess. Look at five to seven. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. So he says, I've looked out. The ruler makes a, an error, makes a mistake. And so it goes out and he, he stops right there and he says, let me tell you what I saw as a result of the mistake. That's verses six and seven. Folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Clarify this, interpret this. What does he mean? Look over at verses 16 and 17, the same chapter. Notice 16 says, Woe to you, O land, O society, O people, whose king is a lad. I mean, it's not good for you, land, when the, land, when the king is a child and immature and when the princes feast in the morning. That's not a good sign. Verse 17, blessed are you, O land, O society, O people, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying blessed is the land when the king is of kingly descent and when his, his uh, cabinet don't drink in the morning. But it's not good for the society nor the land when the king is immature. 
and his leaders around him, not necessarily blood princes, but his leaders around him, they eat at the wrong time and they drink to get drunk. That, that's gonna make a mess. What does it do? Well, it, it, what it does is, it, verse six, it puts foolish people in high places and the people that should be ruling in low places. It reverses the order of this culture. This is not speaking of anything as far as demeaning or anything uh, of another person. It's saying this is how the culture functioned in that nobles rode on horses and the slave, the, the servant would walk the horse. But when a ruler makes a mistake, he looked out at society and said, wait a minute, the servant's on the horse and the ruler's walking. How, how do we summarize this for us? I'd say it this way. When the ruler, when the person who's in authority, when the leader makes an error, it turns the world upside down. It makes the society flip on its head and things don't go well. Doesn't that make sense? You know, doesn't that make sense? Now think about where I want you to understand with this is, you know, in principle, it's talking about a king, a ruler, but underneath that would be a person of influence. So anyone of influence who makes a mistake, you know, it multiplies the deal. Now here's, go a level further. Who in this room is a leader? Don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about that. Who in the room is a leader? I would suggest if your words and actions influence other people, you're a leader in some way or form. And so the warning's for us. You know, when we err in a foolish choice, the ramifications, the ramifications are, are big. And now he's back, to the, he's back to that principle that we started with. The one in the much, the little bitty flies ruin the whole perfume. The one mistake of the ruler turns society upside down. A tiny bit of foolishness is heavier and weightier than wisdom and honor. When it comes to foolishness, I'm gonna say it again, a tiny bit goes a long way. Close your Bibles because we're gonna apply this text and I'm gonna walk us through that application. If you're a guest with us today, the next 10 minutes are gonna be maybe a little bit awkward or uncomfortable, but we believe, we believe that the, the truth of scripture makes us and calls us to be uncomfortably real. Um, we're not gonna make it to where, I hope you don't come back, but, but, but it can be uncomfortable. But here's why, you're gonna get a taste of who we are as a community of faith, and this is, we challenge ourselves in this way. We truly believe that the scripture is not meant to inform us, but transform us. We didn't spend the last 30 minutes you know, just kind of getting to know Ecclesiastes, wonderful book, like a literature class. No, this is God's authoritative word. It speaks to us and is intended to change us, to change our hearts, you see. So we, this, we always seek for application and Rob and I have been trying to work in ways that we can help us better apply these texts or at least move towards application and that's what I want us to do today. Um, if, if, uh, if the Bible is just meant to inform us in a sense, I could say to you, and I, and I, and I would say to you, you know, the Lord, this is the Lord's word for us today. Uh, you are dismissed. Y'all, don't do foolish things. God bless, you know. That, that could be something I could say to you. 
But we're going to pause to go, wait a minute, that's just not, you know, you could go out in life, in the world, and honestly, some of you do, and we do, and you could go out and and just go, oh, I am not going to make that stupid choice, you know, and you could do that for a while, and you would look good, you'd make some decisions that are kind of like, man, that guy is so wise, she is so wise, look at that, she did not choose foolishness, and you would look good, and and, and your life would look different, but I also say this, you'd look religious, because you, you, you'd be doing it, quite frankly, you could be doing it out of the wrong place in your heart. You'd, you'd be just gritting it through. And so I don't wanna say, go and don't be foolish. I wanna come back and say a couple of things. And the first thing is this, when we understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we read a Bible, every time we read our Bible, we go, God, the, God, the Bible calls me to do this. You know, the first thing we wanna recognize is I can't. See, the first thing we do is we go, wait, Lord, you just told us to, and, and God just told all of us to don't, don't make foolish choices. And I said, that's exactly what he said. But I'm gonna tell you this. I can't do it. I cannot keep away from stupidness and foolishness. And see, that's a recognition of what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, so when we begin to live the scripture, we don't just live it with our mind, with our will, you know, like it says this, now I'm gonna do this. That's not the gospel. The gospel comes back and says, wow, I can't do anything the Bible tells me to do apart from Jesus, you see. And we gotta pause there and we gotta recognize that. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads. Just bow your heads, we're gonna do this in prayer. I'm gonna invite you to talk to the Lord right now and just simply acknowledge, boy, when you think about foolishness and wisdom, acknowledge that we are truly powerless against the world, the flesh, and the devil to choose righteousness over foolishness. We, we, we won't and we can't in and of ourselves. As Jesus says, we can't do anything apart from him. So you privately have a conversation with the Lord to acknowledge your own inability to choose wisely. And remaining in this posture of prayer, let me invite us now to go to the cross. We bring our inability to the cross. Every time we apply the scripture, we must go to and through the cross. That's the power of the gospel. And so continuing in prayer, I I want you to bring to the cross the recognition, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you've trusted that his life, death, and resurrection was for you, then we go to the cross and we say, Lord, I, you know, I can't choose wisdom. I'll choose foolishness. I, I'm powerless. But you, Jesus, paid the penalty for all my foolish choices in the cross. And so I'm forgiven the past, present, and the future. And it's here at the cross that you made that real. You really died for those sins. And you rose again to show me 
that I don't have to choose foolishness when I trust you. So we go to the cross. And so there at the cross, I simply want you to acknowledge the, what the Lord did for you there, paying the penalty for all foolishness that you and I would, all, would do from, from birth to death. And if you've not trusted Jesus, I will say to you, you're a slave to foolishness. That's what the Bible says. We all are slaves to foolishness before coming to Jesus. And so you can put your faith in Christ right now. You can tell him you believe that what he did, he did for you. You're trusting in his life, death, and resurrection. So continue that conversation with the Lord now at the cross of Christ. And so we've acknowledged that we are powerless to obey the scripture on our own. And we've come to the cross to recognize there Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sin, for our foolishness. And you know at the cross too in that moment that we believed he's given us his spirit to live within us. He's given us a new heart that can trust him. We've been freed from bondage to sin. And so when we apply the Bible, when we live it, it is always from the cross. And so see, application of scripture is always going to the cross and then choosing to obey from the cross. We don't, we don't obey in order to have our sins forgiven, in order to be in relationship with God, but no, no, no. Because we are in relationship with God by faith in Jesus, we, we then choose to, to obey Obey him because we are accepted, fully accepted, forgiven, and in relationship with God. And we choose obedience in dependence upon the Spirit. See, when I say we are powerless to choose wisdom over foolishness, that's pre-Christ, pre-Christian, pre-before you trusted Christ. But now that you've trusted Christ, yes, in your flesh you're powerless, but you and I have the power of the Spirit that lives in us, secured by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, so we recognize now from the cross, Lord, I can choose wisdom, and I'm gonna depend on your Spirit in that choice I have to make, the, the decision I will make between foolishness and wisdom. So I'm gonna give you a moment to do that. Maybe there's a choice in front of you, and, and you're gonna say, I, God, I, I'm gonna depend on your Spirit to make this choice. Continue to pray in that way. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up because we're gonna do a couple other things before we dismiss. Tell the Lord that's in dependence upon the spirit that you will obey.
Okay, I want everybody's eyes up here. We remain in a prayerful state, but you see as we're walking through this that obedience to the scripture is, um, there's, there's a process to obedience that we recognize, that we can't, that he can, he has, and in him we can. Do you see that? That's the obedience of the Christian life. That's how the word changes it. But there's a, there's a, there's a fourth thing I want us to do because this is just as important as all of it. And that is we, as a people of God, recognize that we, we can't choose wisdom alone. It's what, you know, it's what J.J. said earlier. We're better together. Indeed, we are better together. We're made together. We're made to be together to encourage one another in this journey of faith. And so you're, we're never alone, even in our obedience, whatever it may be. We're part of a body. Has everybody got that? So, so here's what we're going to do. This is about applying the word, experience the word. I want everybody to stand. And uh, I'm going to ask you to talk to one another. Now, here's what I want to give me tell you what we're going to do is if you're here with your spouse or family, then have this conversation with your spouse. Have this conversation with your family. I'm not asking you to, 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 to meet strangers, but there are some in the room that are here by themselves. And so I go, you know, if you see someone near you that's alone or by themselves, and if you're alone by yourself, you know, I, I wanna grab you. We wanna grab you and just invite you into the conversation. You don't have to say a word, okay? Uh, but but this, you know, this pushes us out of our comfort zone. Now here's all we're gonna do, okay? is we're gonna have a conversation with, another, with one another and answer this question. I want you to say to, say, say to someone, uh, tell them a time when you remember that there was a, there was a tiny decision you made. Whew, it was a foolish one and it, it led to some hard things. You don't have to go into the details of it. Okay, so you can choose that as an example or choose this, choose this. In God's grace, I made a decision and it was, there was wisdom in it, even though I didn't know it at the time, or I did, but I made a wise decision. And this is what I've seen God do as a result of that decision. See what I'm saying? So it's up to you. Choose the, choose the positive, you know, I made it, or choose the, the negative and, and how that affects your life. Is everybody clear on this, what I'm asking you to do? You got five minutes to do it, so I'm giving you the time to do it. And don't sneak out the doors, because I know this is what people do, and like, don't go to the bathroom, because I'm going to the bathroom, but if anyone else is in there, I know you're, you're hiding. Um, so turn and talk to one another right now. We have a last thing we're gonna do to conclude. Turn and talk, you got five minutes to do that. 